From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. Today we're heading north of the border and looking at an interesting tax development taking place in Canada. The issue in question has to do with transfer pricing, or what happens when businesses within the same umbrella company make a transaction with each other. Canada's counterpart to the IRS, also known as Revenue Canada, has been really aggressive at going after companies that it alleges do this incorrectly. In 2021, it reported collecting nearly $12 billion Canadian dollars from transfer pricing adjustments over just the prior three years. But the tide may be about to turn. Canadian courts have recently ruled against Revenue Canada in two transfer pricing cases, one involving the mining company Cameco and another for the herbicide supplier AgriCity. To find out more about this shift and what it will mean for the company subject to Canadian taxes, we turn to David Hogan, a tax partner and chief economist at the Canadian firm Richter LLP. Hogan spoke with Bloomberg Tax Canadian correspondent James Munson about why judges are ruling the way they are in transfer pricing cases and about what options, if any, legislators in Ottawa have to respond. I was wondering if you could perhaps describe what some of the biggest impacts from those cases have been on how transfer pricing is or seems to be shifting um, in Canada. So I don't think it's actually you know changing. You know, like These court cases aren't really going to change much. What they're doing is they're actually clarifying what is permissible and what is not permissible. Like look at Cameco, the, the most recent Supreme Court decision. The Supreme Court clarified that that is okay. In terms of focusing in on Cameco, was there not really any expectations up to that point about what the law meant? Or did Cameco at all, it, when, when the Supreme Court came out with its decision last year, did it at, at all shift any expectations for businesses about what is permissible and what isn't? And and if you're looking at it, what did Camco say was um, permissible for businesses? You know, I think that that what it clarified is the recharacterization pro- provision. It's actually a very narrow pr- provision in that it can only be applied in ver- some very specific circumstances. Now, what is also interesting there is, and and you saw you know Camco arguing this, you know, is that you have to tell us if you don't like our pricing what it should be, you know, and and I think that that's probably where the dialogue uh, is going to continue to be focused. And I actually, I I think that the legislation on the price adjustment clauses, you know, is actually quite powerful, you know, and broader than what people were otherwise thinking. Um, for, For folks who might not be familiar with it, do you mind just sort of describing a little bit the recharacterization provision and what's different about it from the price adjustment that you say is probably going to be an area of continued dialogue and and, and perhaps change in the coming years? You know, the, the first thing I, I did was reach for the Income Tax Act. And, and I don't think that's what your audience really wants there. It's the, the, the recharacterization idea is, 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 you know, in colloquial terms, is that no arm's length party would have ever entered into this type of transaction. And therefore, the transaction can be recharacterized into what an arm's length party would have entered into. Okay. And then you think of like, what is, you know, uh, arm's length parties, you know, meaning uh, independent people as opposed to related parties, you know, like, you know, me and my brother type thing. You mentioned um, AgriCity as another um, decision. Why does that decision come up for you in terms of one that, that matters to transfer pricing um, in Canada? If you look at the judge's comments there, they're really quite interesting. You know, because they acknowledge that it did not have any employees. And, and of course, from the outset, like how can a c- corporation with no employees 
earn any money. That that's the 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 offshore company had no employees. Yeah, the uh, Barbados in that case. Yeah, right. and of course, and that of course seems offensive to any layperson looking at it. You know, and then if you look at how the judge analyzed that, it, it really focused on the bona fide nature of the legal contracts that the non-Canadian entity entered into. Like, that's really interesting. <laughs> you know, I, I made sure I used the term bona fide, you know, because these needed to be explicit contracts. And, and once there's a contract, there's a assumption of risk. And whether that risk is financial or an undertaking, you know, uh, but now like it has something. And that again was the judge's comments. So, you know, what is coming up from that case is really the discussion about risk, you know, and does can a legal person assume risk without having any, you know, or with, with having very limited function? Putting aside for a second that the CRA and the finance department may be finding other ways to change their their tax without going into changing the Income Tax Act. What do you think maybe some of the main goals of the government will be um, in, in, a, in a legislative reform? So, so just thinking about legislative reform, one thing that, that we should introduce here is that other tax authorities have had success in enforcing transfer pricing. So then the question there is, is it a legislative problem or is it an enforcement technique problem? Okay, so if if you set that aside, which is what you've asked, uh, then they would probably want more leeway, you know, to be able to recharacterize. And is the the main downside then of the government seeking more leeway in how what transactions it can recharacterize that it becomes too ambiguous for companies to know when they're offside from the transfer pricing rules and almost anything looks like illegitimate transfer pricing? Yes, definitely. You want predictability in the tax laws, period. <laughs> you know, and when you add too much subjectivity to that, you know, then it's 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 rule by decree, you know, or taxation by decree. You know, and and that is not going to be conducive to a thriving economic environment. Um and so what else then um are you watching for? What do you think is coming down the line for transfer pricing in Canada? Are there other cases? Are there other forces at play that um, you have your eye on, perhaps changing international norms from the OECD or just other aspects of the transfer pricing situation in Canada that uh, are on the horizon? I don't think it's limited to transfer pricing. You know, I think that it's the whole cross-border tax issue of which transfer pricing is a piece. And that is a very complex you know, a problem to solve for both taxpayers, you know, and tax authorities, because you're balancing, let's say, the, the sovereign right of a nation to tax and tax the way that it chooses. You know, you're balancing that with the desire for predictability, you know, and, and a rule-based approach, you know, to levying tax. And then you've got, you know, a very dynamic uh, rate of innovation in, in the economy. You know, everything from digital taxes to global mobility. I, I, I know, you know, one of the previous podcast series here talked about, you know, uh, with the pandemic, people are moving and then the tax structures have to catch up. And you've got all of these interactions that need to be balanced at the same time. And transfer pricing is only one element of taxation. 
I'm seeing that transfer pricing is evolving and maturing, you know, and uh, and yet the entire economy and the way that taxes are levied, you know, is is evolving at the same time. And on the topic of change, um, has there been much effect from the pandemic, uh, from your point of view, on transfer pricing in any way? Yes, um, because the the pandemic created considerable economic volatility. You know, to, to say that, you know, um, you know, is probably even understating the state, the, the, you know, the, the fact. You know, so what that actually did for a lot of our client base, not a lot, but several members of our client base, you know, is kind of forced the discussion as to what risks are born in which entity and in which jurisdiction and what is reasonable you know, for that type of risk. So, you know, by design, and you'll see this, you know, it's referenced in the court cases as well, where they will characterize something as an entrepreneur and something else as a limited risk. When you say, let's say, a limited risk and function entity, limited is not the same thing as zero. You know, and when you go through a massive economic gyration, such as the pandemic, that forces the discussion as to what is what are those limits? You know, and and so you see that, you know, travel, tourism, you know, uh, retail, you know, stuff like that, where even what would normally be considered a limited risk activity, you know, actually had considerable risk because it was a complete shutdown. You know, and it's and when they say limited, it doesn't mean no risk. It, it actually just means that some risks are taken away and others are not. That was David Hogan, a tax partner at Richter LLP in Canada, speaking with James Munson. You can find up-to-the-minute news and latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.